0: How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes, and welcome to Tech Radio for 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast, bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. All brought to you by the PRTG Network Monitor from Paisler.com, which monitors your IT infrastructure 24 7 and alerts you to problems before your users have even a clue that there's something or why. Check out their system at www.paisler.com and find out how you can work smarter, faster, and better. Remember, as well, as our show on air with rte and online via the website or your favorite podcasting app we of course keep you up to date on all things tech every day with hourly updates and daily newsletters which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie just before we get into our interview for this week i'm joined as always by niall kitson our um, our editor-in-chief our president do you like
1: president oh, that's that's quite flattering Fair enough. Okay. Everybody seems to want to run for president these days. Yeah, so why not?
0: Well, this is it. All you you have to do is go to four councils, give them all a, a, a Samsung S9, and you're in.
1: And you're in. That's simple as that. Do you know? Yeah. I
0: was, I was, because I actually, I actually know. It's kind of, it's weird when you get older. I know like three of those people who are all running for president. I know them, and I also oh, know wow. the uh, the sitting president as well. So it's a strange, strange world that we live in. Anyways, uh, listen, uh, I was just going to ask you to take out your diary okay. and to make a little note for the first of December. Okay. Okay. So just write this down. Dusty's Christmas present. Dusty's Christmas present. Buy him the Lenovo Yoga
1: C930. You got it? Okay. Rolls, rolls just quite nicely off the tongue. Okay. C930. (laughs) Fill me in. What's the big deal? Well, it's kind of, do you know, like we're doing this program so long, right? And we see so
0: many things. And then eventually it just, it just, it's like white out. We don't see anything anymore that that we're interested in. And, Mm. uh, and, and even just a couple of weeks ago, we were kind of thinking, what's the most interesting thing we saw all year long? And both of us came up with pretty (laughs) weakish examples because nothing impresses us anymore. This is something that has uh, impressed me. It was uh, just launched at EFA there last week. Um, And basically what it is, it's Lenovo going at this uh, yoga idea again of the, uh, you know, the the laptop, which will turn over 360 degrees. So you can use it like a like a tablet. Yes. And what they launched last year was a really weird kind of a thing. It was kind of just like a, a, a flat top where the keyboard should be with no keyboard. And the idea was you would put a piece of paper over it and everything you wrote on the piece of paper would be picked up by that flat uh, thing and then displayed on the screen. Yeah. Um, and and then you could type on it like a keyboard, but you, it was like invisible typing. Do you know what I mean? So anyway, hmm. what they've done is they've come out with this uh, uh, Lenovo Yoga C930. And what it does is it's got your touch screen as normal, as we're used to. But mm-hmm. then where the keyboard is, is now an e ink display
1: okay right okay now what what are the actual functional benefits of this is the is is the idea that you're going to use it as like an e-reader on one side and a tablet on the other
0: everybody goes on about an e-reader it's like what am I going to go around using that I have a kindle it's a nice size I don't want to be reading a a 10 inch size book no uh, e e reader is definitely not on the list for me I'll tell you where it is right it's When you're at conferences or at business meetings, you don't want to be sitting there like a lemon typing. I don't anyway. I prefer to be doodling or drawing a little picture or just throwing (laughs) down one or two keywords. But it helps me to remember. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, okay. Um, and,
0: and I like that. That's why I prefer like literally writing uh, on paper. With the e-ink display, here's the magic, right? The magic is, is that you can set it up as a little keyboard and they've put mm-hmm. uh, all the keys with a little shadow underneath it. And when you type in each of the keys, you get a little click. So it's kind of half ah, feels like a real keyboard, but it's not really, you know. But then with the magic flick of a button, then it becomes a, a pen input. So it's like a blank sheet of paper and you can just draw. And whatever you draw then is captured by the actual computer itself.
1: Okay, right. Oh, now, th- this is kind of interesting what you've what you've brought up because we've seen alternative sort of inputs on laptops and desktops before. I mean, HP had one a uh, couple of years ago where it was a projected keyboard onto any surface and you could tap away. And of course, like I, I imagine, it would be really bad for you after a while, especially mm. if you're on like a surface, like a table or something like that. It'd just be really bad for your fingers. So... A good chunk of this kind of thing uh, comes down to comfort. Can you see yourself being comfortable using that kind of input for a protracted period of time? Or do you think this is Ah. okay, right now Ah. I fold over. There's where you went wrong, my friend. You
0: said protracted period of time. (laughs) Okay. The, The beauty of this and why I like it is because it's small and it's really light, okay? It's only three quarters of a kilogram. Um, and it's the kind of thing that you can take to a conference or to a business meeting or whichever. And if you want to type something very quickly, you can do that. If you want to interface with, the, you know, typing website addresses or whatever it happens to be. Uh, or if you want to just do doodles, as I said, or to make handwritten notes and stuff, like that, perfect for that. That's all I would use it for. This mm. would not be my main machine by any stretch of the imagination. Right, but so I this, this is your that, carry about. This is my carry about, yes, and I think it's very, very good for that. I think it's got. I mean, it, do you know it's kind of surprising because it's going to have decent processor in it. It runs a full version of Windows Ten. It's not like kind of your cut down special version like you get on the uh, uh, on the on the Windows uh, tablet. Um, mm-hmm. It's light. It's got eight hours. Blah, 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 I like it. The only problem, this is what everybody says, is the price.
1: How much is is this beauty going for? One
0: thousand euro. That's a bit rich, isn't it? Exactly, and that's what. I, and I agree, which is why I said to you, "Marking your calendar." <laughs> <laughs> this is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's TechCentral.ie. Tech Central. Now, while uh, Niall is busily trying to figure out how the heck he's going to pay for my new laptop, let's get into our interview this week, which is all about tech in the classroom and kids. It's something that keeps coming up from the perspective of how do we integrate the likes of PCs and tablets and interactive whiteboards into regular classrooms. However... We can use the same technology to spot when kids are at risk of falling in with communities from the darker side of the web. NetSupport is one company using AI to help identify children at risk based on their online behavior. And their group managing director, Al Kingsley, talked to Niall Kitson about
1: their work. Al, if you could tell us a little bit about NetSupport and your background.
2: Um, hi, yeah, absolutely. Um, NetSport, we've been on the go for just over 30 years now. Um, and as an organisation, we provide educational technology solutions for running schools. Um, and that is everything from the back end, making sure we get the most out of all those expensive IT assets that every school has, through to the tools to help teachers provide innovative and engaging lesson, um, classrooms, learning and lesson objectives. Um, and then the final and perhaps most important point is about the tools actually support our young people when they're online so that they have um, appropriate e-safety controls and support to make sure that they're, um, they're safe in their, their activities. Um, as I said, we've been doing um, what we do for the best part of 30 years now, um, and we sell into um, just over 90 countries around the world and look after just over 17 million users. Um, when I'm not busy at Net Support, I'm also chair of a multi-academy trust here in the UK. Um, so I have a, very much a foot in both camps, and I'm very much aware of the um, the obligations and responsibilities we have working in the education
1: space. That is quite quite interesting having having that, that foot in both camps, really, because you're you're seeing both sides of it. Sort of the necessity of having this sort of monitoring technology in the classroom, but also the the reality of um, budgets of schools being uh, strapped for cash in terms of budgeting?
2: Absolutely. I think the one perhaps distinction, other than the key responsibility when it comes to young people, is that in business you often have the luxury of making choices around what you choose to invest in within your organization. In the education space, you're often having to respond to government and national policy, which means you don't always have a choice. You have to find ways that will fit in within your financial constraints, but things that you genuinely have to do.
1: So when we're looking at what's happening inside the schools, there is the element of, yes, we have to manage the the IT estate. That's the physical level. That's what people are quite used to. It's when you get down to the level of the user, effectively the level the level of the child, that there needs to be that level of literacy, um, also in terms of what is appropriate to be searching, what is appropriate to be looking at, um, what sort of uh, material is relevant to the lesson at hand, and what you should know you shouldn't be looking at or, or searching for. So this brings in the level of what you call citizen citizenship or sit or If you could tell us a little bit about that.
2: Well, digital citizenship is um, is very much the all-encompassing term. And, and in practice, it relates to all of us, whether we are or aren't within um, an educational setting. And it repl- um, is relevant to young people, teachers, parents, and everybody else. Uh, and there are a number of strands that probably come across come under that umbrella that most of us would be familiar with. So there's very simplistic things which are about how we um, choose to respect um, other people and ourselves and how we conduct ourselves both in the physical and the digital space. Um, Being aware of how we protect um, our information, both, um, again, locally and online. Um, There are some strands very important to teach young people. Standing up to cyberbullying when you see it and also being empowered to know how to go about actually reporting that and responding to it. Um, Things like respecting copyright, understanding how to quantify information that's been shown, very prevalent when we see on the news now topics like fake news, Um, being careful how you leave a digital footprint behind. Lots of us um, within a, an education and business sense have been aware of GDPR over the last few years. But, um, you know, as a young person and at any age, we always need to be very aware of whatever we post online or we leave is there as our footprint for the future. Um, and then the big strand, which is very much the school centric part, is about making sure um, that we stay safe online. And that then comes into the education that both parents and schools provide to proactively um, give our our children the skills to be digital citizens themselves, but alongside that, meeting our obligations to actually... Tools in place to actually monitor and make sure that our kids really are kept safe.
1: It's actually a very ambitious um, uh, concept in a lot of ways because you're introducing things like uh, device literacy. That's that's fine. We're used to that at this stage, but also uh, this far-reaching concept of yes, okay, what you what you what we do now echoes in infinity. I think as the as the film said. Yep. Do you think that concept gets through to kids? I mean, you you look at comments on YouTube videos. You look at comments on Instagram posts, on on Facebook posts, and they're done in haste, they're done in the heat of the moment. How do you get across the message that, look, you're doing this now and it seems like fun, but five years, 10 years down the line, somebody is going to be able to Google you, somebody is able to find you on Facebook, and that's still there.
2: I think it's um, it's a constant uphill battle, um, particularly when it comes to teenagers who often, as you say, um, do things in the, the heat of the moment, perhaps without thinking about the, uh, the, the implications down the line of what they might do. I think one of the biggest strands when it comes to digital citizenship is recognizing that you're never too young. You know, there are, there are clearly things that as parents we do with our children very young when they're at home, whether it be picking up the iPad for the first time and you, and you make some sanity checks about what a child can do, what applications they can use and then understanding and setting rules about what a child can and can't do and um, at what age it's appropriate for them to have messenger and social media accounts Um, and I think for that reason the earlier that you can start educating young people about those risks and what the implications are. And that's, of course, where the classroom plays a, a pivotal role in terms of schools kind of embracing that. And often what we've seen in a number of initiatives around the world has been the idea about appointing young people to be spokespersons themselves for, for their peers, um, to, to for them to actually identify and say, you know, we're going to teach our other students in our class to be good di- digital citizens by, by showing them some of the key things they need to follow. Um, but, of course, with this... Rightly so, this desire to give children all the different technological means to, um, empower and engage with learning you know with more power comes greater need for tools to actually support and manage and um, we want to provide all this technology in the hands of our young people Um, but at the same time education is key to make sure that they're not unfairly being put at a risk that's um, that's out there for them and it's certainly much tougher for children of of the current generation than it would have been 10 20 years ago
1: i think that idea of of having the peer as sort of the ambassador or the the thought leader if you will in in the school to sort of okay this is what we're dealing with this is the these are the skills that we have to have uh, where does the parent fit into this equation i'm sure we must be getting to the stage now where parents have caught up with digital literacy that you know we are seeing a new a new generation of parents that yes did know how to program the vcr when they were kids or do have their own facebook accounts are we getting to that stage now where parents or rather the cohort of, of parents if you will are catching up to kids in terms of the device that are being used and how they are being used?
2: Well, it's a double-edged sword, unfortunately. In one sense, absolutely, that the the, the latest generation of parents are more um, digitally skilled and more familiar with technology and how to use it. But I'm not sure that automatically means that they're also better digital citizens. Sometimes when you've used something forever, for want of a better term, you tend to take that tool for granted and you aren't perhaps as cautious about what the implications are of that use within your day-to-day lives so parents clearly play a, a really key role when it comes to um, how they um, steer they, their children but I also think there's an element of there's a continual effort to try and educate parents to, to perhaps recognize that some of their behaviors are then a model for their for their children themselves and um, I, I think we can all take a look and, and question at times some of the the choices we make about what we post online at the appropriate times whether it's something you know perhaps more tangible as an adult about don't post your wedding holiday when you're your house is left unsecured. To whether it's posting pictures of something that you don't want your future employer to perhaps detect. You know, but again, lots of these things, in terms of the broader sense of concern and risk for young people, are, are related to some of the the, the less um, palatable topics of sexting and online bullying and other d- different topics that um, you know really do have a, a much more harmful um, side effect.
1: Do you think that it's a, a conversation that parents find very hard to have with their kids because it is such a, an open field? in terms of content that people are posting? I mean, do, do you sit down an eight-year-old and go, look, there's this thing called sexting and you're probably going to come across it and it's not appropriate?
2: Um, I think um, every parent knows what's, what's right and at the right age for their child. And I'm, certainly it's not my area of expertise to say what's right for each each child. What I think is appropriate is parents absolutely do have an obligation to have that conversation about children understanding that whatever they choose to share online is something that is likely to be there forever. And even when children talk about some of the you know, the, the instant messaging tools like Snapchat where it's only there for a few seconds and it's gone, the truth is it only takes one recipient to take a screen capture and it's not. It's there forever. So I think without perhaps always going into the specifics, it's still possible to talk about the detail of understanding whatever you put out there you lose control of. And, and that's a really important strand. It's about control, control of, of your property, be it in an image sense or a written sense.
1: Moving then along to the actual technological element of things, we, we are seeing an awful lot of new technologies like AR, VR uh, coming on stream. But also, very importantly, AI, which, uh, as we know, is still at this nascent stage and uh, it has its limitations, as we're finding in various sort of mm, cock ups with Facebook, uh, uh, etc. Um, so, how are we seeing this technology being applied at the level of the classroom, specifically from uh, a wellness perspective
2: <clears throat> okay I mean I think the first and most important thing I always stress is within the classroom context tool number one that you will always have as in terms of safeguarding and keeping your children safe is eyes and ears and that's never going to be replaced by um, technology. What it can be is it can be supplemented and supported by technology. but if we think about the idea of um, what information we might need to assimilate to make a judgment about whether a child might be at risk online, Some of the things we need to know is um, what website they're on, what application they're using, what device they're on, which student is it? Uh, Is it a child that potentially is more vulnerable than another child? What time of day is it? Is something they're doing online within a, a lesson putting them at more or less risk than perhaps in an unsupervised library period or after school. And if we pull all those things together, then we can create a degree of a rule book that says here's some context that we can make some um, informed judgments about, whether it be in a human sense or with AI. And then we need to say well from that, how do you actually identify when a child's at risk? Well the standard approach tends to be to look for keyword indicators or phrases. So typing a particular keyword might trigger an alert that says this child is searching for something that might be linked to self-harm, radicalization, um, any number of different topics and each topic may carry a different level of risk so self-harm is one that obviously um, has a a sense of immediacy of a need for intervention it could be more of a topic about body image where it might prompt a whole school assembly to to young people to to make them aware of some of the risks so artificial intelligence um, within that context is really about taking keywords that are triggered identifying who's triggering it what website they're on what they're doing and then creating if you like an escalated level of risk and who should be informed as a result so we'll all recognize that typing a term into a web browser or an online chat room is probably an area where you're more at risk than the same term typed into a powerpoint spreadsheet where it might be linked to a history project so that's a very simplistic level um The clever bit when it comes to AI is around the concepts of things like linguistics, which is it's not just the words you type, but it's the words surrounding it, the sentence structure. So, you know, talking about the Hiroshima bomb versus how to make a bomb has very significant differences in terms of how much concern you might have to a sentence that's being typed. And those are the kind of things where technology solutions, like the solution that we we provide for schools, um, is very much about... Bringing all that information together, making informed calculations, and then presenting the data into a meaningful way that teachers and and school leaders can actually assimilate it. So that might be a word cloud to say, what are the trending topics with my 16- and 17-year-olds versus my 7- and 8-year-olds at the moment within school? It may may also be just the common sense things about, if I need to trigger an alert, do I trigger an alert for everything and leave a teacher with 200 messages in their inbox at the end of the day, or do I trigger just on the most serious items. Perhaps I want to capture additional information like a screen grab of what a child was doing at the time the alert was triggered. So, AI absolutely has a, has, a, has a place because, of course, with so much online activity in different forms and on different devices, you can't possibly have a dedicated pair of eyes and ears to sift through that all the time. And with many topics like self-harm, suicide and others, you know, time is of an essence. You absolutely would not want to find that information the day after it was triggered because that might be a day too late.
1: I think what's very interesting in the point you raised there about suicide um, and, and also about e- eating disorders, et as is that an awful lot of these can be quite uh, community based, uh, certainly in the case of uh, eating disorders, uh, where there is, you know, this self-perpetuating narrative within a group that, you know, you're doing really well if you're, if you're losing an unhealthy amount of weight. Do you find this sort of technology useful for identifying communities like this?
2: Absolutely. I mean, the most typical example would be um, whether it be eating disorders or, or regrettably self-harm as well, which has become more grouped based for a, a small group of children that perhaps almost it's that kind of peer acceptance to be following a similar path. Um, we, we absolutely find that the, the, the beauty of the technology is to identify the age groups and particular children within a cohort where this is relevant so that you can then pull those children together and deliver some kind of support the second part which links it links into that really quite nicely and it's very much a strand of digital citizenship is how do you empower these young people when they actually recognize that something's going awry or one of their friends is doing something that's placed them at risk and so the second part is about providing for want a better word you know in a self-service style links to national and local resources where they can seek support themselves not every child is um, comfortable going and speaking to their class teacher or an immediate peer and sometimes they want to access somebody who is, you know, who doesn't know them directly, but is one step removed. And so, again, good products will not only recognize where a child is at risk, but will also provide them with um, easy access to to those kind of approved and vetted national organizations where they can either email or, or call a toll-free number and actually speak to somebody who's professionally trained to counsel and provide advice
1: so something that people might be uh, concerned about in that context is are, are you effectively building behavioral profiles through data of people does that throw up a data protection issue that people would be quite uh, could could be indeed suffering from problems but be um, maybe unnecessarily wary on what's being collected about them
2: well, in, in a school setting, you know, the reality is there is data captured about every child. So in every school, you would have a, a, a school information system that would, for every child, would not only identify um, their curriculum achievements, but would also identify when they were early or late, any um, bad marks they hadn't flagged against them for behavioral issues, any positive marks as well, any concerns that the school might have from more from a, a social care perspective. So that kind of history already exists in one, in one sense what a good solution using AI should be doing is not recording what every child does full stop. But is simply triggering when something of concern is flagged so there absolutely shouldn't be a history of this is a child's you know day to day starting at nine o'clock and finishing and these are all the things that they typed and did it should be explicitly those items that sit there and with any school system as that rolls over and a child leaves a school that data disappears at that point as well um the other aspect which comes back to um something i I touched on earlier with gdpr you know is is there are some important new rulings there so one is about where that information is stored so a good system i believe should be a local system so the school has control over that data and secondly a child has a a family have a right to request you know clarity on that information and a right for that information where it's not required for the day-to-day business of the school to be removed Um, and i think that's the important bit and it comes full circle to managing your digital footprint which is a Nicely dovetails back into digit, really.
1: Mm. So you, you you basically should have the right to say what kind of data is being held on my child, and let me see it.
2: Well within GDPR there's there's some different categories I mean there's some information that a school holds about your your child for the purpose that it needs it in order to perform its daily task and within that setting you don't have a right to say the school can't keep details of my absences and lates because they need that to be able to provide it centrally back but in the sense of when a child for example leaves a school having the right for certain information that isn't relevant to ongoing reporting to ask for that to be re- to be removed and absolutely you have a, there's a right for a, any individual to do that, in the same way as an adult, when you leave your your empl- employment, you're you're entitled to ask for information the employer holds about you to be removed in the same way, and that's all part of the broader GDPR legislation.
1: Finally, then again, just on on the subject of data, does this mean that students or, or pupils coming into a new school should have to sign some sort of con, or parents of of children should have to sign some sort of uh, Contract or compact with the school, acknowledging that as part of the service, the, this sort of data will be collected just to make sure that there are no um, dark alleys, if you will.
2: Um, it's a, very, it's, a it's, it's an interesting one i mean there is when you, when you start a new school there there are a number of forms that need to be signed off including schools' policies on you know acceptable use beha- policies uh, um, the use of information technology um, and as part of that a school will, will obviously communicate with parents for for the right for their child's images and so on to be to be stored I think in the context of what's being captured um, the reality is is because it only captures something that's flagged for that very reason as a concern, then typically in schools' IT policies, it will have a declaration that the school uses appropriate filtering tools that are required in order to, to protect a child and make sure that their um, activity online is managed. And in most countries, to be fair, that's part of standard legislation, whether that's kind of under, um, as we have over here, Keeping Children Safe in Education Act or in Ireland's Children First Act, there are obligations in terms of um, schools having to evidence that they have tools in place to protect and safeguard their, their young
0: people online and that was Niall Kitson chatting with Al Kingsley the group managing director from Net Support. that's almost our show for this week our thanks as always to the PRTG Network Monitor from com for making our program possible uh, just before we go for this week uh, Niall is still with me Niall we've got uh, one more thing as Steve Jobs was famous for saying uh, one little thing we couldn't fit into the podcast but is online what is it?
1: Yeah, well, we were talking about um, uh, laptops with a little bit of novelty. Uh, Samsung are working on a smartphone with uh, a little bit of novelty that you may be interested in.
0: Go! Cool. Well, I was about to say, tell me, you, you utter ficker. <laughs> 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 now let's go look at the website. You've mentioned the, the new stuff, innovative stuff. Samsung. Okay, I'm on it. I'm on. It, I'm on. It. You can get the lowdown on that and all things tech in Ireland with early updates, daily newsletters, and more at our website, TechCentral.ie. Or, of course, listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB digital radio with RTE Radio One Extra. Until on next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from the kids at Tech Central HQ. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend. Get tech.
1: Ready.